Hi, you're listening to Hearth and Soul. I'm your host, Angela Torres Kakun. I'm the head chef and food manager at Spoken, a cafe in the Ravenswood neighborhood of Chicago. I'm also a professional singer and a core member and the director of operations for Forte Chicago, Chicago's only all-female opera improv and sketch comedy troupe. I'm a self-labeled foodie, a food nerd, and a history buff. I love nothing more than to nerd out about food. But enough about me. Hearth and Soul is a podcast that strives to explore nourishment, how we feed our bodies, our minds, and our souls. We cover a wide range of topics, including the everyday mundane and the celebratory. We believe that food is the one thing that connects us to each other, no matter what. So welcome to the table. Hello, everyone. Welcome. We are on episode three. Um, Today, we're going to get super nerdy. Um, I've got the producers here. Hello. To get nerdy with me. Maureen and Dan are here. Um, We're going to talk about cookware. Woohoo! I know that's really what all of you wanted to hear about, (laughs) but I promise it'll be fun. Um, First, I just want to do a quick shout out. So last episode, we talked about Whole30 and um, Leah and I were talking about affordability and accessibility and that kind of thing. And how it can be a little bit on the expensive side. Um, and Leah found this really cool ebook called Good and Cheap Eating Well on $4 a, a Day. It's a free cookbook that you can find online and it has um, healthy meals on a snap budget, which I think is super, super cool. Um, it's not necessarily Whole30, but I'm willing to bet that it's got some you know, recipes that would be Whole30 approved or that kind of thing, you know, you can still find ways to do it on your budget. Um, I will put in the description of this episode, I will put the website up there for you guys. So find that and um, and check it out. It's a Leanne Brown, good and cheap. And uh, I will, like I said, I'll post that. I'll also post it on the Facebook and the Instagram uh, so you guys can find it on all of those platforms. All right, so we're going to talk about cookware. Cookware. By cookware, (laughs) I mean pots and pans and things that you cook in. That's that's what I mean by cookware. So somebody actually requested that I do a podcast about this. So it wasn't just me being like, I'm going to talk about cookware for an hour. Um, Somebody asked for this. It may have been my mother, but, (laughs) you know, that's okay. Yeah. She's an audience. She's an audience member. So, for sure, it works. My mom doesn't listen to our podcast. (laughs) Do you know what? I don't think my mother has actually listened to any of them, but she did tell me she wanted to hear a podcast about cookware. Yeah. So, mom... I expect you to listen to this. Um, <laughs> so, and also I, I do get asked from other people, you know, what what do I use? What do we use at the restaurant? You know, what is a good brand to buy? All of these things. Cookware, if you're looking to buy stuff for the first time, brand new, it is daunting. There is a lot of shit out there. So we're going to break it down a little bit and hopefully help you out. So first I'm going to go back and... Look at some, I thought I'd pull out some of my antique cookbooks because you never know what kind of stuff you're going to find in those things. And a lot of these cookbooks were written for, well, for housewives, lack of a better term, (laughs) um, and housekeepers. Um, So, which is interesting because depending on how far back you go, 
a lot of middle class women had cooks. So they would have read the cookbook to help plan a meal that they then would have told their cook, like, this is the meal that I want. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But there are there are some tips, you know, like in the back of these cookbooks, it's like tips for housekeeping kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I looked through uh, a couple of different ones and they don't actually have recommendations per se of cookware. But what they do have is in those housekeeping tips, they give us some insight by telling us how to clean different things. Oh. Right? So it's it's kind of, it's a little bit, if I had followed the path of a culinary historian, which I almost did, mm-hmm. that's, that's how they learn this stuff. It's how they learn what they did oh. is by reading between the lines, essentially. Oh. So instead of like... Oh, there's no section on what kind of cookware they they used. So I guess it's not in here. You have to look at other, read some of the recipes, read some of the tips and, and sort of dig that way. Because also back then they assume that all women reading these books know how to cook mm-hmm. and they know they already have a fully stocked kitchen, right? Or if they're new wives first setting out on their, with their own home, They've already grown up learning from their mothers how to cook and what kind of cookware to use and all of that. So those things were not laid out. Recipes are completely different in those books, too. They don't always tell you, like, here's how you make a pie crust for this pie. They'll say, make a pie crust, then make this filling with these ingredients and then put it together and bake it. Like, they just assume that you know how to make a pie crust. Right. Right. So I first started with... um, it's a book called The Buckeye Cookery and Practical Housekeeping. It's from 1877. It's actually a collection of recipes from across America. Um, but it was it was pulled together in Ohio, which is why it's called The Buckeye Cookbook. Um, and they talk about tin pots. Yeah. Oh, what? So, yeah, apparently that was a thing. People cooked in tin a lot. It's not bad for you. It is bad for you, but they didn't know that then. Just like they put lead in wallpaper and oh, in yeah. paint. Like mm-hmm. they didn't know, right? Kids so toys. Yeah. So tin was the um I guess if you were to equate it to what we would use today, it's it was like the stainless steel of the day. Oh. If you're looking for a lighter pot or pan, right. tin is what you used. If you're looking for heavy duty, it was cast iron. Right. So I found this uh Here's a little quote here. So this is from the the Buckeye Cookery and Housekeeping. On tin, it says, fill new tin pans with boiling water, having a little soda in it. Let stand on a warm part of the range for a while. Wash in strong soap suds, rinse and dry well. Scouring tin very often with whiting or ashes wears them out. If properly taken care of, washed in suds and thoroughly dried, they will not need scouring. So basically your tin would wear away if you would scrub it too hard. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so like make sure you soak it. Make sure you soak it and just, you know, use your soap suds. Um ash was uh by the way was a very common. It has to do with the the pH level, I think. Don't quote me on this cuz I I read about it once and it didn't stick. But ashes were used in a variety of cooking as well as cleaning methods because of the pH level. Huh. Is it like how chinchillas use sand to clean themselves? 
chinchillas use sand to clear them? As a, it's like a it's like an abrasive yeah. kind of thing. Probably. It's probably the same. That and the pH. You know how you can use baking soda? Right. Because baking soda has a um it's an alkaline. Yeah. So there's some kind of weird chemistry that happens when you combine the alkaline with a specific surface or with something else to like break down grease and fats and things like that. Mm-hmm. I, I can't speak to all of it. I read, like I said, I read it once and it didn't quite stick. Right. But um, so when, when I read about things like that, that say ash or potash is what it was called a lot oh, of times. I think I've heard potash. You could actually buy that in little jars, potash. What, what would it be the ashes of? Usually some kind of wood. Oh. Yeah. But it was used for cleaning and also it's used as an ingredient sometimes. Wild. Pre, pre-baking pre powder days. Huh. Yeah. Like way, way, way back. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So this is telling you don't use, don't use ash to scrub your tin because it'll wear it away. Yeah. Um, oh, wild. So I also found... Oh, is that all I had from that book, I think? I thought it... Yeah, that's all I had from that book. Um, they they did mention iron kettles as well in that book, but they didn't give any, like, ideas on how to clean them. Just fend for yourself. I guess. <laughs> uh, well, again, it was one of those things, like, people just already knew, right. I guess. So, but those are the only two cooking vessels that... Um, it talked about in the housekeeping section. I didn't read through every recipe to like double check, but that's really interesting to me. The fact that people just knew how to, cause like every time I have to make, like there are only a few recipes I know by heart. Mm -hmm. And even the recipes that I like once knew by heart, I no longer know by heart. Right. Oh Well, I mean like Grubhub, what didn't exist back then, you know, like people just had to cook every day. Like everyone had to cook everything. Well, and if you're thinking, this was 1877. Mm-hmm. If you're thinking 1877, this is pre, like, there's some industrialization happening in the food system, but it's not as prevalent as it was even in the 40s or 50s. So before the turn of the century, you're looking at, like, fewer canned goods unless yeah. you can them yourself. Right. Right. You're looking at very few boxed ingredients. Mm-hmm. Like, you have real food and that's it, pretty much. Yeah. With a few exceptions. So, and also keep in mind that, that that's kind of, unless you were super upper class, that's all you did. You basically were in the kitchen or with a broom and mop in your hand, like, 24-7. Right. So... It's kind of, it's one of those things that sometimes I'm a little sad that more people haven't retained that knowledge, but at the same time, it's, we've gained other things instead. Yeah. You know, so there's a lot of, that knowledge can still be, it's, it's been written down. Yeah. Thank goodness. So we can still use it. Right. Um, My friend Lindsay can just like whip up a pie crust. Like if you just like, she's like, oh yeah, let's make pie. And then she'll just like eyeball it. Yeah, I do that too. Yeah, it's just, that's cool. <laughs> I don't know. That's just cool to me. That's but all I I, that's all I have to say on that. It is it is understandable <laughs> that a lot of people don't have that skill. And that's, yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. It, that's the day and age that we live in. The day and age that they lived in, it was 
everyone knew how to do these things. And if right. you didn't, you starved, basically. <laughs> yeah. That was by necessity. Right. Um, so then I went a few years later to, I have this, uh, I think it's actually a textbook from the Boston Cooking School written by Fanny Farmer. And she was famous for her cookbooks and for actually starting the Boston Cooking School. Oh, cool. Um, the book doesn't actually have a date in it. It doesn't have a copyright in it. But I think uh, if you look at when she was running that school, it's probably late 1800s, so like 1890s, mm-hmm. somewhere in there. Um, and they talk about, they also talk about iron kettles, but they talk about something called granite ware, which I'd not heard that term before. So I looked it up. I know, we all know what granite ware is. We've all seen it. If you think about the iconic picture of a Thanksgiving turkey in that big black roaster that has the little white dots on it. Oh, yeah. That is granite ware. Oh. Yeah. And it, it comes, they make all kinds of, you know, vessels to to bake things in, in inside an oven, right? Not necessarily stovetop items, but mm-hmm. like... Um, and it's still, you can still buy it. There are still companies. There's a company, actually, I have a quote here. There's a company that was called Colombian Home Products that is the oldest cookware manufacturer in the U.S. They uh, were founded in 1871 and they became famous for producing what's granite ware, which is basically porcelain or ceramic or enamel coated steel. So oh, it's wow. it's got a heavy core, yeah, and then it's got that sort of ceramic coating on the outside. So right. kind of, if you think about um, Le Creuset, I was I was just gonna say it. It reminds me of Creuset, right? The difference is that Creuset is iron. Oh, iron coat. So when you use the term enamel wear, usually mm. people refer to the iron base coated in enamel. Okay, granite wear is a steel base coated in enamel. Okay. Or ceramic, whatever. Like, right. That's basically the difference. I think, th- from what I- my experience with granite ware is that it's it's not quite as thick. Okay. Because steel can be honed a little thinner. Yeah, that was. I'm I'm wondering in terms of like heat conducting. Yeah. Like what the difference between iron and steel cookware would I be. I would have a f- just, and this is just my guess. From my experience, I have not cooked with a lot of granite ware, but I have cooked with hard anodized steel. So my experience with that is that it heats up quickly, but it doesn't hold the heat like cast iron does. Um, does that make sense? So yeah, yeah, yeah. iron is a lot thicker. The, right. the, those pans are forged a lot thicker. And I'm sure there's a reason for that, but they hold heat. So you can turn off that turn off the heat and that sucker will stay hot for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why they make such great um, Dutch ovens to bake things in and slow cook things in because right. they hold heat and they evenly distribute the heat throughout the iron. Do you, now with granite ware and it, you know if if this is a, a thing that you haven't touched on that totally makes sense. But mm. does it now the steel heats up more quickly but doesn't stay as hot? Is does that mean that is it also because I know that with cast iron pans it's just one piece of yeah. cast iron, right? Is that the case with granite ware too? I think so. I'm not positive on yeah. that, but the pieces that I looked at, um, they they all looked like like Le Creuset kind of stuff, okay. only not as 
heavy looking, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So they do look a bit thinner, but they look like they're all one piece. The only the only exception might be the ones that have handles soldered on the sides. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, what I saw was not... So when we think of cast iron, we often think of skillets, right? Right. Then they just have their one complete piece. Yeah. The granite ware was more like roasting pans oh, or, okay. or big casserole dishes kind right. of things. Um, they have lids, separate pieces for a lid, but they're, they look like all one piece to me. So I think that it's, it's a very similar concept. It's just one is steel and one is iron. Interesting. Yeah. Um, what I thought was interesting about this particular, uh, uh, company that I came across is that they're called the Colombian Home Products because of the Colombian Exposition World Fair here in Chicago. Oh, cool. Um, where they won the Cookware Innovation Award for the naturally nonstick enameling process of graniteware. Wow. Yeah. So it's also nonstick. Right. So this is why, and, and I'll get to this a little bit later, but why cooks today love Le Creuset so much is because even if something looks like it's stuck on, you soak that you soak that thing for like twenty minutes, it comes off. It mm. clean as a whistle. Yeah. And cast iron, once it's seasoned, it's nonstick. Yeah. There's no weird coating on it. There's no like it just is that way. So granite ware I think is very similar in that if you if it's taken care of properly because of the enameling process, it's basically nonstick with no extra coating. Huh. You can well, I'll get to this later. There's something that you can buy today called ceramic ware in, in skillet form. Mm-hmm. That's basically the same thing. Huh. So that to me was pretty fascinating. The only thing they didn't they didn't make very clear is that the company was founded in 1871, but the World's Fair was not until 1893. So I'm wondering if they were called something else first, produced this product, took it to the World's Fair, and then they won were, the award and yeah. then changed their name. That seems likely. Yeah. Um, I think it's funny that mine and Daniel's input on this podcast is often going, huh? Right? <laughs> wow. I told you it was going to be a lot of a lot of nerdiness. No, it's it's it, we're it's interesting. <laughs> um, so they also in this um, Boston Cooking School book, they also talk about something called agate ware, which I had to look up um, because to me agate is a it's a stone yeah right and it's a stone that when you if you could slice into it it has it's like multicolored on the inside is it like a geode kind of it's it's more like layers i want to i want to cook with geode cook, cooking equipment like ge- geode pans geode pans <laughs> i don't know if that's that a sounds thing. like it should be a thing that should be sold in hippie <laughs> stores yeah i think i think it would probably be very expensive and difficult to clean. And difficult to clean. Mm-hmm. Um, but agate ware is actually a pottery that's made with contrasting colored clay. Oh. So is it just, is it really pretty? It's, yeah, it's just like really pretty multicolored. Yeah. So, but they call it that because it sort of mimics the look of agate if you were to cut into an agate stone. Yeah. Um, But what I did learn is that it, even though they talk about how to clean it, it seems like it's mostly used for um, 
like teapots and things like that. It's like an earthenware mm-hmm. kind of thing. It's made out of clay. Oh my god, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah it's Google really it pretty. Too. You should, if you're, if you're listening at home, you should just Google. Just oh Google. wow, Google it. Agateware. A G A T E. W A R E. Google it. It's it's very cool. Um, but I do have a little bit from that book. Let's see. To clean graniteware where mixtures have been cooked or burned on. Half fill with cold water, add washing soda, heat water gradually to boiling point, then empty when dish may be easily washed. And then it gets weird. Perline or any soap powder may be used in place of washing soda. Of course, they're talking about things that we don't know anything about. I don't know what perline is. Yeah. But, but yeah. Um, so that's how apparently you clean granite wear. Essentially, you or soak it. Wear? This was no. This one oh, was granite wear. Um, agate wear. Let's see. Okay. So, and this is why I think that it was mostly used for tea and coffee pots mm-hmm. because it says never wash the inside of tea or coffee pots with soap suds. If granite or agate ware is used and becomes badly discolored, nearly fill pot with cold water. Add one tablespoon borax and heat gradually until water reaches. Boiling point. Whatever happened to borax? I feel like my grandma. Oh, you can still find it. They sell it at Jewel. Oh yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, because sometimes I uh, you can use it as a laundry. Uh, what do you call it? Enhancer, like laundry detergent gotcha. booster, if you will. Kind of like OxyClean. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I'll throw it in a load of whites. Nice. I had some for whatever reason. Um, but I don't wash my dishes with it for cleaning your agate wear. But if I ever have any agate wear, then yeah. now I know how to clean it um, with with my borax. So there you go. Um, they also talk about the iron kettle. This they tell this is this book. They tell you how to clean it. It's or no, they tell you what to do before you use a new one. So if you get a brand new iron kettle, you have to grease the inside and the outside and let it stand for forty eight hours. Then wash in hot water in which a large lump of cooking soda has been dissolved. What? Yeah. So what I know about cast iron is that you don't wash it with soap. Right. Ever. Yeah. Now you can clean if it's, you know, got something funky in it or greasy or whatever. You can clean with baking soda. Just if I need to scour it, that's what I'll use. Baking soda and like steel wool. And that will take care of it without removing the um, the seasoning. Huh. So they're telling you to grease your iron kettle mm-hmm. because that's essentially how you season it. Right. What's interesting to me is they're not telling you to heat it. Yeah. Which is normally how you, you sort of seal that seasoning onto your cast iron as you heat it. Is it because you're letting it sit for 48 hours instead of just... Cause you don't Because you don't heat it for 48 hours when you season it. No. You heat it until it's... The, it's dry. Yeah. 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 It, it could be... And it could be, too, that the way that they produce the iron kettles then versus the cast iron that's produced today could vary slightly in how porous it is. Mm. So maybe it was more porous, so it would just soak it up. I'm not sure. Um, Interesting. Again, it's one of, they they don't give you a ton of details in these books because they assume that you know yeah. this stuff already. They're just yeah. giving you basic ideas. Yeah. Um. The other one that they talk about in the Boston Boston Cooking School book is copper boilers. My understanding though is that a copper boiler is for mostly for washing clothes, so it's not cookware. Oh. 
um, in in England, for example, it would be called a copper, just a copper. Mm-hmm. So like Charles Dickens talks about in in a Christmas Carol, they talk about come hear the the pudding singing in the copper. Well, the pudding was in a mold that steamed in the big copper because that was the only place that they could do that. Oh, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, um, at the in that time period, a lot of a lot of homes didn't have large stoves or large kitchens. So your goose would be baked somewhere else. Mm-hmm. It would be cooked elsewhere in a large oven and then brought to your house. The biggest kettle that you had in your house was your copper, mm. your your big boiler for boiling your laundry because that's how you clean your laundry. Right. So I think that they mention copper boilers and I don't... They mention it in the same vein as like right after the iron kettle. But I don't... I think you cook in the iron kettle, but I don't think you cook in the copper boiler. Unless you're I, steaming a pudding I'm or picturing something. a kettle, like a tea kettle, like for he- heating up water. So what I'm wondering is if they're telling you in the same breath about your iron kettle and your copper because you have to heat up the water in the iron kettle and then use it in your copper. That's possible. Kettle could also refer to a big round cauldron-esque mm. That's true. pot. So it just, I, I'm not sure. Yeah. It could be both. It could be either. I'm not sure. My understanding is that a copper boiler was meant for, mostly for laundry. Right. But they do tell you how to clean it, which is using Putt's pomade cream. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Reach into the closet. Grab, grab your, that. Grab your putts. <laughs> My PPC. <laughs> a- apparently you rub it on with a woolen cloth and then you rub it off with a flannel. Huh. There you go. Copper is notoriously difficult to deal with. Um, what are the benefits of using copper? As far as cooking, um, we'll get into that a little bit with our next, the next book I looked at, which was Julia Child. Um, it it does heat evenly, very evenly. Mm. It conducts it conducts the heat very well. Yeah, because I'm seeing a lot of copper cookware being advertised to me. At Walgreens. And it's not... Yeah, so that's a big thing right now with this, the the copper no-stick, because it does have a non-stick surface. Okay. Naturally. Mm-hmm. So I get that. Um, the problem with copper, as with other metals, is that it can be reactive. In what way? It, it can be reactive in a good way or a bad way. So, example, copper bowls were made and i actually have one specifically for beating egg whites because something about the reaction between the egg white and the copper uh-huh gave you a stiffer um stiffer peaks cool. that makes sense when you're when you're beating your egg whites so those bowls were made specifically for egg whites alone not yolks because yolks will have a different reaction okay but only for egg whites However, if you put something acidic in that bowl, it could turn funky colors on you. The bowl or the or the, the food? Huh. It's a reaction between the mineral and whatever the food is that you're putting in there. Aluminum does the same thing. So I'm going to say right now, I don't actually recommend aluminum cookware. Mm-hmm. It's popular. It's it's inexpensive. But say you decide one day, and I speak from experience, you decide one day to make a lemon meringue pie and you're you're making your lemon filling and suddenly it turns gray. Well, that's not normal. Ew. That's the aluminum. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. 
It doesn't do that for non-acidic foods, but, you know, if you cook a fair amount of spaghetti sauce or pizza sauce or lemon things or whatever, pickling, that's a no-go in aluminum. Like, you just, that's not a thing you can do. Huh. Um, and so copper will react with certain things in a similar way. I've not had a personal experience with copper, so I don't know. Um, but I have read that it is, it's a good heat conductor. And that's why people, people like it. Yeah. Um, as far as, so then, like I said, the next book that I pulled out was the, um, Julia Child book. So the one that she wrote with her friends, uh, Simone Beck and Louisa Bertol, uh, which is the first cookbook. It, it there, there are now two volumes. The first one she did with them and the second volume she did by herself. Um, of mastering the art of French cooking. She had a lot to say about cookware because, and I, I believe it's because she kind of pioneered the idea of women really understanding French cooking, like the basics. Because at that point in time, I think it was, uh, now I'm forgetting the exact date, 1960 something. Um, that was the age of packaged foods yeah i was just gonna say like my mom my grandma doesn't know how to cook yeah because she convenience foods were all the rage yeah yeah so bringing french cuisine to the u.s was one thing making it accessible to a home cook was what julia child did yeah so that meant that some of the recipes got changed a little bit, whatever. But she does go in a lot into kitchen equipment. Mm -hmm. What is, if you're going to cook this way, these are the things you should have. So I've got quite a bit here we can uh, dig into here. For those of you who don't have her book, um, she talks <laughs> about pots, pans, and casseroles. So pots, pans, and casseroles should be heavy bottomed so they will not tip over and good heat conductors so that foods will not stick and scorch. With the exception of heavy tin-lined copper, which is expensive to maintain. Again, tin-lined copper. This is the 60s. God. That's <laughs> not not something you're going to find these days. And if you do, don't use it. Please don't use that. Mm -hmm. um, she does talk about enameled iron or stainless steel-lined heavy aluminum is our choice. Again, I'm going to tell you. Aluminum is not my choice. Right. But, you know, this was the 60s. Uh, the smooth surface does not discolor foods. Oh, because she's talking about enamel. Enamel lined. Oh. So if aluminum is your core and you've got the enamel on the outside, then you're okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. Because um, it doesn't discolor foods. It's easy to clean. She says, stainless steel with a wash of copper on the bottom for looks is a poor heat conductor. The copper bottom should be an eighth of an inch thick to be of any value. Stainless steel with a cast aluminum bottom, on the other hand, is good, as the thick aluminum spreads the heat. So we've all seen stainless steel pots and pans. She's saying if the aluminum is on the outside bottom, that's a good heat conductor. Huh. You don't want it on the inside where right. your food is going to be. Yeah. Um. Glazed earthenware is all right as long as it has not developed cracks where old cooking grease collects and exudes whatever whenever foods are cooked in it. Pyrex and heat-proof porcelain are fine but fragile. See, that's really funny to me because I love Pyrex. Yeah. Pyrex is practically indestructible. Huh. But uh, maybe it wasn't so much in the beginning. Possibly. Um, maybe Pyrex took, took a hint. 
maybe <laughs> they were like, "Ooh, Julia, Julia Child Ooh. thinks that we're flimsy. Flimsy. We need to up our game." <laughs> Um, thick aluminum and iron, though good heat conductors, will discolor foods containing white wine or egg yolks or lemon or lime or oranges or any citrus. I've That one I know from experience. Um, because of the discoloration problem, we shall specify an enameled saucepan in some recipes to indicate that any non-staining material is to be used from enamel to stainless steel, lined copper, pyrex, glazed pottery, or porcelain. She does have a whole thing here about copper pots. She says copper pots are the most satisfactory of all to cook in as they hold and spread the heat well. And their tin lining does not discolor foods. (laughs) So here we go. They had to line the copper Uh because the copper will have a reaction. That's so interesting. But they lined it with tin, which... Yeah, which defeats the purpose. Obviously, we don't do today. Right. Um... So I thought that was really interesting. And she does go on to talk about how these particular, the reason she says in the very beginning of this section that they are hard to maintain, she explains in this section here about copper pots, because you basically have to, every time you clean the tin lined copper pot, you're wearing away the tin every single damn time. So she says every few years, you have to get them relined to keep them in good condition. Who's got time and money for that? Yeah. Right? So, yeah. To re- retinning. So, and copper tarnishes quickly. So that's a whole nother, like, cleaning method. It's a fairly simple cleaning method. We, my mother used to have copper bottom pots, which they were cheap, but she liked them to be shiny. Yeah. That means that every couple washes, you have to scrub the bottom with an acid and salt. Mm-hmm. Usually lemon juice or vinegar and salt. And then they'll shine up beautifully for you. But like every other time you wash it, you have to do that too. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So imagine if you have an entire set. If you've ever seen pictures of of Julia Child's kitchen, she had a whole big like corkboard wall that her husband made her Mm -hmm. where she would hang all of her pots and utensils and stuff. And she almost exclusively had copper. So imagine the amount of cleaning and retinning and... All of that that had to go into that, the maintenance of those pots. And as much as that woman probably cooked, dear God. Yeah. She must have had a maid to clean all of her pots. Oh, I'm sure. Holy crap. Um, She does talk about uh, non-stick pots and pans. So the first edition of this book was in 1960-something. I can't remember. I want to say 69, but I don't think that's right. Anyway, this is... My quotes here are taken from the 40th anniversary edition, which was released in 2001 Mm -hmm. and then re-released in 2009 when that movie came out, the Julie Julia movie. Right. But so here in this edition, she talks about nonstick pans because they became a thing by the time they did this edition. If Mm. they were not a thing in the 60s. So she says, uh, since our first edition, pans with no stick surfaces have appeared everywhere and modern improvements have made their surfaces increasingly more resistant. We are enthusiastic about no-stick cookie sheets, cake pans, muffin tins, and especially no-stick frying pans. What a particular blessing they are for omelets, sautéed potatoes, and hash. Treat no-stick surfaces with care, however. Use wooden or plastic utensils. Hide your pans from cooks and non-cooks. And don't expect the surface to last forever. 
kooks and non-cooks. So I think what she's talking about is basically Teflon. Yeah. Right? So we've all probably had an experience with Teflon, unless you're listening to this and you're very young. Um, (laughs) And the problem with Teflon, which is still sold, and other nonstick coatings on pans are still sold, is that they do come off. Mm -hmm. And they come off fairly easily. And that one time you accidentally use a whisk in your skillet. I remember my mom getting so mad at me when I used the wrong utensil in one of her Teflon pans. Yep. She got so mad. Because it's it would scratch it, which then made it look not so great. But then the problem was that eventually that stuff came up and into your food. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's became a big health concern as well. Like, what the hell is this shit made out of? Yeah. And now we're eating it, not just eating out of it. Yeah. So that was a big thing, which is why... There is a difference when we talk about naturally nonstick versus coated nonstick. Yeah. So if you're looking for stuff that is nonstick, just don't get the coated stuff. Just don't do it. Yeah. Find something else that like is nonstick on its own without or the just added use coating. or just use oil. Use oil. <laughs> use butter. Mm-hmm. Use lard. I mean, yeah. If yeah. It, I I yeah. Anyway, um. So, yeah, Julia Child has a lot of info. Um, but yeah, even her her latest ed- the latest edition of that book is like almost twenty years old now. Yeah. So we have to think about that as well. So people people want to use what is used in restaurants. People think mm-hmm. if I buy what they have in a restaurant, then I'm gonna like be an awesome cook i'm gonna go buy whatever the latest celebrity chef is selling right eh. you have to be able to maintain it that's how that's what right. makes the restaurant food work right the other difference though is that what you are buying in the box with a famous person's face on it is not what that famous person uses mm-hmm. actually in the restaurant that's true. those are two different things no you're right so you mean Emeril doesn't cook his sauce out of a jar? No. <laughs> what? I mean, he might. I don't know. I don't know, Emeril. I mean, he might these days. Who knows? He's got enough money. He's probably like, screw this. Mm-hmm. I don't got to cook anything anymore. That's really interesting. <laughs> I, I actually, that's something I never really considered. Like all these people buying like Martha Stewart cookware and like, yeah. you know, Gordon Ramsay cookware. They're not using their own cookware. No, they're not. It, in fact, a coworker when I was I was telling him that I was gonna do this episode on cookware, and he was like, and you know, we're talking about it. And he's like, so what you're saying is, I probably shouldn't have gone to Target and bought that Rachel Ray set of cookware. <laughs> and I was like, did you really? And he said, it was red, and it was on sale, and our kitchen is red. And okay, but you should know better because you work in a restaurant. And he's like. <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, my girlfriend liked it. So, <laughs> you know, it. I will say also that different restaurants are going to use different things. So you can't always just ask what they use in a restaurant and then think that that's going to work for you. Right. It. There's a whole bunch of things that factor in. So in our restaurant, for example, we're not we're not full service. So I don't have a big range of gas ovens going where I cook things to order. That's not how we do things. Mm hmm. I have induction burners, which are essentially like electric burners that are movable, portable. Right. For now. We are getting a gas range, but it's 
It's, it's a process. Um, but that means that I have to use stainless steel because you cannot, induction doesn't work without stainless steel. You can't use another kind of pot. Mm. There's some kind of like magnetic thing right. that happens in induction that only works with stainless steel. So we have big, I have giant stainless steel stock pots that I use for the soups. And we have, we do have a few nonstick coated stainless steel bottom skillets. I don't love them. We replace them probably every six months. As soon as I start to see that coating coming off, mm-hmm. I, I'm like, I'm throwing it out. Buy me a new one. Yeah. Um, and he does. My boss does because he doesn't, you know, it, he knows it's not ideal, but it's what we have to do yeah. for now. Um, so that's what we use, but I wouldn't recommend that you use that at home. Yeah. Right. Um, well, and also it depends on what you're cooking because. Yeah, absolutely. Because like a French restaurant, you know, they're going to be doing lots of braising they're going to be doing Mm -hmm. lots of like, lots of roasts, you know, they're not going to be doing like, you know, lots of flum, you know, they're going to be doing like a lot of, you know, it's very specific stuff. Right. And so asking a French restaurant what kind of cookware do you use when in reality you're going to be doing mostly stir fries? Like, yeah, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And there, there's also a difference in, so where you live and what kind of, uh, um, range you have, you know, like in Chicago, most of us have gas, gas range. Yeah. Right. That's not normal for a lot of places. Mm -hmm. In most places, the electric range is what you have. Yeah. You're not going to use the same cookware on a gas range that you're going to use on an electric range. In fact, you can't, especially if the electric range is a glass top, Mm -hmm. which are so very prevalent in almost all newer homes these days. Like, it's the thing. I hate them. And I keep telling my mother that she needs a a new range and it should be gas. And she said, yeah, but this house doesn't have a gas line. Right? Because it's not, that's, they're not in an area that ever had that. Mm. We we are benefiting from the grandfather effect here in Chicago where gas was first. So they just kept all the gas lines. My mom also benefits from that because her house, the house she just moved into was built in 1910. Oh, nice. And so she has like this beautiful gas range. And, oh, yeah. It's lovely. pretty great. It's a pleasure to cook on. I bet. Yeah, it's pretty great. But when you have a gas range, you you can and you want sort of heavier, sturdier, yeah. bottomed pots and pans i think she uses exclusively croiset i would because she's fancy fancy i mean if i could afford it i would too yeah same um but like (laughs) on my mom my mom still has some old yes mom i'm calling you out she's got some old pots and pans that we haven't been able to get rid of yet that have the copper bottom and the problem is that they're not flat so if you have a flat top range a glass top Oh, so they're like Some, scooting around. They're scooting around. <laughs> or they're like, you try to boil water and the whole thing like shakes oh, and sort God. of rolls on itself. It's it's very strange because they're not flat. Bo- so if you are purchasing and you have a range that has a glass top on it, you need something with a very flat bottom or you're not going to get an even heating. Yeah. Right? These are the things you have to think about. You also want something that's thinner and not as heavy. You can't use cast iron on a glass glass top range. Yeah. I mean, you could, but it's not recommended. It can break it. So, yeah. (laughs) This is really interesting. All of these things you have to take into consideration. So, if you're looking at what people use in, like, a full-service restaurant, um, usually they're going to use steel. And it could vary between stainless steel and what's called hard anodized steel. 
So hard anodized steel is like, so the stainless steel is that pretty like shiny silver stuff that you see that a lot of stuff you see in the stores that's stainless steel. That's, I think that stuff is great for stock pots and, and other kinds of pots and things like that for sauteing purposes. I actually prefer the hard anodized steel, which is a little bit thicker. It's not silvery, shiny like that. It's going to be a little more difficult to find for your average home cook. Mm-hmm. But it is, it has that natural nonstick to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that, those are the saute pans you're going to see in a restaurant. They're, they're usually dark, almost black. They're kind of heavy looking. They have a sturdy metal handle that's basically soldered or bolted onto it. You know, they use it for a dish. They toss it in the sink. They use the next one. They've got stacks and stacks of them. Mm-hmm. Um, that is what you're going to see in a restaurant. They are not coated pans like we talked about. They're not Teflon. Anodized steel has its own kind of natural nonstick. Um, most chefs and foodies that I know, what do they prefer to use at home? Because obviously you're not going to have the same stuff at home that you're going to have in your restaurant, as we talked about. Uh, enameled iron and cast iron are top favorites. Mm. So enameled iron is like what, like the Le Creuset that we talked about. Mm. It's got an iron base to it. That's the kind of stuff that you're going to braise, you're going to roast, you're going to bake, you're going to... Not saute pans, but like other things that are going to go in your oven. Enamel iron is probably top favorite of all of the people that I know. We can't always afford Le Creuset, but sometimes you can find other enamelware that's that's decent quality. Um, Cast Iron Lodge is a really good brand, and I find that oftentimes is fairly affordable if you save your pennies or you get them in a, a on a sale. Mm-hmm. I get their emails sometimes, and they have this like Valentine's Day sale where they were selling a cast iron heart shaped like cake pan. Oh, and it was like thirty bucks. Which... Yeah, I think we have a... What Was it Lodge? I know I have some kind of Lodge. We use it for sauce. When I make Sunday dinner sauce. Oh, it's yeah. Like a big pot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they do like the... They do the skillets. They do the big Dutch oven pots with the lids. They do... Um, I actually have one of their griddles. It covers two burners. And on one side, it's flat. And the other side, it's it's got the grill marks Ooh. on it. That, <sighs> that thing fun. is amazing. Now that I can't tell you, that was probably a little bit pricey. That was a gift mm-hmm. from uh, it was a birthday gift. So I don't know how much that one was, but Lodge mm-hmm. does have sales a lot, and sometimes you can find them in various department stores, you know, discounted or on sale. Staub is the other cast iron that's quite popular. I don't really have a preference, except that I find that Lodge is a little more accessible, mm-hmm. and you can find it in more places for a more affordable price. Like I've even seen sometimes I've seen Lodge in like Target. Yeah. And it's it's not super expensive. Mm-hmm. Um so I I really like Lodge. So cast iron, enamel iron, those are top favorites. I have we talked about hard anodized steel. I actually have 3. The brand is called Members Mark, which you're not going to find in regular stores. Mm. Um, I actually, and I highly recommend this. If you're looking for cookware, go into those places that are like labeled antique stores, but really they're like consignment mm-hmm. of, of estates, right? Like entire estates might be for sale there. Yeah. Um, 
there's one in Ann Arbor that my mother and I love to go to called uh, Treasure Mart. I have three of these professional grade members mark hard anodized steel skillets that I I didn't spend more than $10 on any of them. Nice. And I have had them now for more than 10 years. Well, that's the thing with cast iron, right? Is that it lasts forever. Cast iron and stainless steel are going to last you forever if you take care of it. Yeah. Now, I like personally, I like the anodized steel because it's easier to do no stick. Yeah. Whereas the the thinner stainless steel, I find is sometimes annoying. Like sometimes it burns. Sometimes it's hard to clean. Sometimes because I have one mm-hmm. that's like a, somebody gave me like a stainless steel skillet. Um, you can't scramble eggs in it to save your life. At least I can't. I it always sticks, and it doesn't matter how much oil you put in it, or it burns, and then you can't get it clean, and you're mm-hmm. like scrubbing it with steel wool and barkeeper's friend, and just mm-hmm. like it's kind of a mess. But the anodized steel doesn't do that. And you can scrub anodized steel with uh, steel wool and get mm. it pretty clean. And you don't have to worry about scratching it with your metal tongs or any of that. I don't want to go out and get an anodized steel. <laughs> um, but like I said, the ones that I have, members mark, I, you're not going to find them. I've never seen them in any store. I just happened to find them at this consignment store that some restaurant had gone out of business and sold their stuff at this consignment mm. store. So if you know what you're looking for, you can find really good stuff at stores like that. I, this is a tangent, but do you ever just like go into restaurant supply stores? Yeah, sometimes. What's that like as a as a as a? I try to not because then you find a bunch of shit that you don't really need that you yeah. think you need. Is it is it more or less affordable? Uh, I think it can be more affordable. It really just depends on what you're looking for. I've heard like plates. Because mm-hmm. that's obviously like a restaurant. You're yeah, plates if, by the if you're just wanting basic like white right. plates, mugs, that kind of thing, definitely, definitely. And there's times where my boss will need to make a run to a like Restaurant Depot, for example, mm-hmm. is a local store that we have um, for something specific, like you know chafing dishes or the little the little burners that you use underneath chafing dishes yeah. i can't remember what they're called right now sternos um oh right yeah stuff like that that that's where you, you can pick up that stuff there if you don't need a ton of it you don't want to order it online and sometimes he'll ask me do you need anything for home and sometimes i can't think of anything but one time i was like hey yeah i need squeeze bottles and he's like oh yeah what are you using them for and i was like well i want to decorate some cookies and to me that's easier than using a piping bag so i have a set of plastic squeeze bottles you know you can get stuff like that and that it's cheaper there and it's easier to find what you're looking for specifically um i also have a pair of these um tweezers they're like really long tweezers that are sort of bent at the end for placing when you're plating mm. food and you want to place things very specifically mm-hmm. so if i'm you know I baking something picture what you're talking about yeah 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 that like came from table. exactly i've used them like twice yeah but if i'm making a dessert for example and i want specific you know say i want chocolate curls at just a specific point i can use these little tweezers to do that not melt the chocolate with my fingers those came from a restaurant supply store so stuff that you're not going to find at your average store you might find at a restaurant supply store it's exactly what you need it does the job and it there's no frills Mm -hmm. there's no fancy it doesn't have a famous person's face on it it just it is what it is and it's what you need to do the job so sometimes those places are worth it if you know, going in, just, just check it out mm-hmm. just to look around and see. Um, 
But I do recommend checking, I don't know if thrift store is the right word for it, secondhand stores, consignment stores. I feel like you know your local one, you know? Like, I'll find, yeah. sometimes find random interesting stuff even at the uh, college. I always call it the college village discount, but it's the, what is it called? Village discount outlet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I wouldn't say, like, you're not going to go into necessarily um, Salvation Army or Goodwill and mm-hmm. find this kind of stuff. But if you go somewhere where you know that sometimes they have higher end stuff. Yeah. Or that's why I say consignment shops, because you go into consignment shops and oftentimes like somebody's passed away and their entire estate is being sold off by their loved ones. You know, mm-hmm. like, oh, we don't need all these dishes, so we're going to sell them through consignment. Mm-hmm. My entire teacup collection is amassed that way. So, yes, I collect antique teacups in case I've never said it on the show before. Um, so I like to go to these places for things like that. But every now and then I look through the cookware. You never know what you're going to find. It's a shame that we lost Maureen because she actually collects teapots. Oh, for real? Yeah. Oh, my God. We'll have to, like, get our collections together sometimes. Yeah. Sometime and take pictures and make tea. Mm-hmm. That would be awesome. Um, so looking for stuff for your house... All Clad is also a great brand. All Clad is mostly stainless steel. Uh, again, I don't recommend buying an entire set if you don't need an entire set. All Clad is expensive. Mm. It's worth it, but... And it, again, it's the kind of stainless steel that I don't prefer sautéing in. But the pots are great. Like, I have I have an All Clad stock pot that's great. Um Ceramic ware is something we we mentioned earlier today, and that is like, it's kind of like the the hard anodized steel, but it's coated in ceramic the way that Le Creuset is coated in enamel. So it's a nonstick surface that you don't have to worry about. Mm-hmm. It, it's not coated. It's, it's like fused, if that makes sense. The ceramic is fused to the steel. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have to worry about a weird Teflon coating or anything like that. It's a naturally nonstick thing. Those, the ceramic ones can be a little pricey as well, though. Mm. I don't have a brand name for you because I don't, I don't have any of that stuff. Uh, but it is a, a good nonstick option. If you're just going to invest in one skillet and you see one, like that's the way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also, I recommend that like take some of these terms and do like a Google image search. So you know what you're looking for. Because then when you go into places like consignment shops or wherever, your village discount outlet, and you happen to see something, maybe you're not looking for it, but you happen to see, like I did, oh, what is this skillet that looks like something that would be used in a professional restaurant? Oh, this says hard anodized steel. I'm going to take this home with me. It's $5. You know, like, then you know what you're looking for. You've got terms and images to go together. So definitely Google is your friend here. Um... Let's see. And yeah, restaurant supply stores. I actually had that written in my notes here. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, But for example, I have... So we talked about Lodge cast iron. You know, 30 bucks was a good deal for a a bunt pan or a cake pan, right? So that sounds like a lot to somebody for one... $30 for one pan. I have five cast iron skillets in various sizes. I did not pay full price for a single one of them. In fact, I don't think I paid more than $15 for any one of them. Mm-hmm. And they all came from either a consignment shop or like a rummage sale. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that means that you have to, again, Google is your friend. Google, how do I re-season a cast iron? 
Or how do I get rust off of a cast iron? Because a couple of them came, were rusted. That's okay. As long as the base is still there, if it's just got a surface of rust, you can clean that off fairly easily. You just need some steel wool, a little elbow grease, and then you learn how to reseason it. And you've got a cast iron skillet that's going to last you the rest of your life, essentially, for 10 bucks. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a steal. Um, Let's see. So basically, what you want to look for is something that's a really sturdy construction. Heavy bottoms that conduct heat evenly. That's what you're looking for. As I said, I don't, I don't always recommend aluminum. It, it conducts heat well. It's not always very sturdy. It's not always got that heavy bottom to it, especially if you're in Chicago and you've got a gas range. Mm-hmm. You, you, you want the heavy, even surface on the bottom. Aluminum's not going to be your best friend there. And it can also cause weird things to happen with your food. And for me, that's it's not worth it. Aluminum is not amazing enough to warrant the few times that it might turn my food colors. Yeah. So I just don't buy it. Cast iron is also something that can react with your foods, depending on what you're cooking. So straight up cast iron, even if it's seasoned, you're not going to want to cook with white wine or vinegar or lemon juice. It could turn a little funky on you. It could be a little weird. The high acidic foods, it's not great in that. I have done tomato sauce. It's not usually recommended. But I did it and I didn't have a problem. It just depends on how long it's in there, I guess. Um, But in my mind, cast iron is worth it. It's worth that trade-off. Like, I'll use a stainless steel pan for that lemon thing I want to do. And cast iron for everything else. Mm -hmm. Because it's so amazing. It's such great quality. It will last you forever. You're not going to break it. You, You can't scratch it. Like, and it's such a great conductor of heat. It works so well for everything. Unless you have a glass top stove, in which case I recommend you just get rid of your glass top stove. That's <laughs> that's my opinion on that, mom. <laughs> so finally, let's wrap this up here. Remember that your cookware is an invest. It's an investment, essentially. If you are somebody who wants to start cooking for yourself more or you already cook for yourself a lot and you find that you don't have the right tools, it's an investment. And it's okay that it's an investment. You don't have to go out and buy a fancy matching set. In fact, I don't know a single professional cook who has a matching set at home. Mm -hmm. Because as Maureen said, you're going to use different things for different applications. Mm -hmm. So I have, and things that are in my regular, almost everyday rotation are my Members Mark saute pans. Those are the hard anodized steel my cast iron skillets. I have Le Creuset and Pyrex that gets plenty of use both. Um, Oh, and on that note, if you ever see Pyrex flameware or Anchor Hawking Fire King glassware, snatch those up because those are great. They're um, high heat resistant, great baking for baking. Um, Little hot dish. Little hot dish. Anchor hawking, if you don't know that term, is akin to Pyrex. Mm. They're basically the same thing. They're just two brands. So way back in the day, Pyrex made something called Flameware. And Anchor Hawking made something called Fire King that they made in various colors. So it wasn't just bakeware, but it was also like pitchers and glasses and serving dishes and that kind of thing. But And I, I have a few pieces of each of those. And... 
if you consider that some of those were made in like the 30s and 40s and they still work great. Mm-hmm. They haven't broken on me. They haven't chipped on me. They take high heat in the oven really well. They're usually, again, you're going to find those things at like secondhand stores, consignment stores, thrift stores, because people don't know what they are or don't want them or great grandma left this and we don't want it anymore. So we're going to sell it. Snatch that, snatch them up because they're great. Um, They're heavy and durable. Um, Also heavy and durable for baking. When we talk about Le Creuset is normally used for like casseroles for braising for slow cooking roasts that kind of thing um you can bake in it le creuset does make bakeware le creuset is extremely expensive it is worth every effing penny but for the average person listening to this podcast it's kind of a dream even for me i have a few pieces one given to me by my sister um but i don't like my whole kitchen is not that because i can't afford it Mm. That being said, um, I just forgot where I was going with this. Oh, if you're baking, baking cakes, pies, cookies, the Pyrex is your friend for pies. Heavy duty bakeware, Nordicware is your friend. Nordicware is like a cast iron base as well. And it is completely naturally nonstick. And by nonstick, I mean like nothing sticks to this shit. I have... You may have seen it, actually. I don't remember if I made this at one of the parties that you came to, but I have a, it's like a bunt pan from Nordicware that is shaped like a gingerbread house. No. You haven't seen it. Okay. But I, I mean, it has all the details, yeah. like the window panes, cool. the little bushes in the front of the house, like the chimney, details, details, details. You pour the batter in, you bake it, you flip it out comes clean out every time out of every tiny nook and cranny every time that's awesome i mean i i put a little extra you know shortening in there just to make sure yeah but like i never have to worry about scrubbing to get stuff off of it it comes super clean super easily the cake comes out looking like a gingerbread house and then i don't have to decorate a gingerbread house i just Mm -hmm. sprinkle some powdered sugar on there and i'm good to go so nordic ware you can often find at places like michael's Sometimes Joanne Fabrics, they have like a, a baking ware, will, where, baking aisle where you will find things like Nordic Ware and Wilton. Wilton is good, but if you have a choice between Nordic Ware and Wilton, I would go with Nordic Ware every time. So if you're looking for cookie sheets and bunt pans and cake pans and all of that stuff. Kind of crafty cooking. Crafty cooking. Yeah. Nordic Ware is amazing. And I wish... All of my bakery was Nordicware, but it is not. Um, and then, really, I guess, I would recommend that you just think about, if you're looking to invest in stuff, think about what you cook the most, what you like to cook the most. If you're somebody who really loves to make pizza all the time, maybe you want to invest in a really great pizza stone. You know, if you're somebody who makes stir fry all the time, Maybe you want to invest in a really great skillet. Or a wok. You could invest in a wok. That's a whole nother care process. I know someone that is really into it. Well, I don't know them. I'm just like, I follow them on Instagram. Yeah. And they got like the wok and then they got the special like pad thai spatula. Oh, yeah. The whole works. Yeah. My mom had a wok 
growing up, I don't think I ever saw her use it once. But somebody gave it to her. And it even had, it has this like. It's intimidating. This base that you set over your burner. Yeah. So that the wok doesn't sit on the burner, right? It sits on this base. It it, it was a real deal. But I, I don't think she ever used it. Because it just was like, it, it requires a separate set of utensils and a separate set of skills, skills really. and knowledge to clean it right. and to maintain it and to keep it, you know, because it requires its own kind of seasoning and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So, I mean, if you're into it, by all means, invest in a walk if you think that you're going to use it. But really, Google is your friend. Yeah. Google how to take care of it. Google how to clean it. You know, Google how to use it. What? What are the best utensils to use with it? Because you don't want to screw up your stir fry and you don't want to screw up your existing utensils by thinking you can use a plastic spatula that's not heat proof. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So just know what you're looking for. If you're somebody that wants to make a bunch of omelets, you know what? Go to a kitchen store and ask for real French omelet pans and just invest in one. Yeah. Piecemeal this together. Like, don't. Don't be duped into thinking that you need a matching fancy set. Mm-hmm. Because honestly, those of us that cook for for our life, yeah, we don't do that. Absolutely. Because you need different tools for different applications. Um, and you never know when you're going to find something really great. Like I said, Google, Google Images. And just uh, if you don't really cook... Then, you know, get whatever's on sale. That's cool. If it doesn't matter. But at the end of the day, I think if if you're really interested in investing in something that's going to last you a really long time, that you're going to use a lot, it's worth it to drop $30, $50 on one piece. You know, if you're somebody who wants to really splurge and get some Le Creuset, dude, get a Dutch oven. That is on my dream list. I want a Le Creuset Dutch oven. And someday I will have one. <laughs> just not yet. Mm-hmm. So just know what it is that you're going to... Don't buy something that you're not going to use a lot. Think about what you cook and go from there. And as always, you know where to find me. You want some advice, drop me a line on Facebook or Instagram. I'll talk you through it. We can do this together. And uh, get yourself some cookware. And on that note... What's in your pie hole, Daniel? Ooh. Ooh, 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 ooh. Um, <laughs> I didn't prepare him today for this. <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 I thought about it. Um, I want to mention one thing, which is I've been making waffles lately. My mm. waffle iron is very cheap. Yeah. So, it like, it's it's not really necessarily in my pie hole, but, like, just in my frustration of, like, it just sticks every oh, time. Oh, no. Yeah, it's a real, it's a real bummer. Um, but the, the one thing I wanted to mention, and this is kind of like a Maureen thing, mm-hmm. so I'm kind of, this is maybe what's in her pie hole, is she's been making a ton of caramelized onions. Oh, yes. And so she'll just make like a big pot of like three onions. Yep. And then we'll just kind of have them for a yep. few days after. And um, last night, uh, we had Daya cheese in the house, mm-hmm. vegan cheese. And so I made a grilled cheese sandwich with caramelized onions in the middle. And- mm, yep, yep. Something, something. We do something sure. at the shop called, we call it Not Your Mama's Grilled Cheese. Mm-hmm. And it's a, a whole grain bread with your choice of cheese, mm-hmm. your choice of nut butter, Ooh. your choice of jam, Ooh. and caramelized onions. Oh. So you could have 
provolone cheese and bourbon pecan butter and cherry jam. I never, it, I didn't think that cheese and peanut butter and jelly, like. Yeah. It's, I will say, our poor deli folk, if any of you listen to this, they hate making it because nut butters are very, um, they're problematic in, in the restaurant industry because of allergies. Right. Yeah. We do have disclaimers that, you know, we can't, we can't guarantee that there's no cross contact, mm-hmm. but it means that every time they put nut butter on that grill, they have to then scrub it. Oh yeah. Um, and cause it inevitably oozes everywhere. Right. It's everywhere. There's no getting around it, but it is popular for a reason. Mm-hmm. That's cool. <laughs> it's really good. So speaking of work, my pie hole, and this is not something I'm doing at home because good Lord, that would be bad. Um, pudding. Ooh. Homemade pudding. Mmm. Pudding is so good. So we, well, I decided a few weeks ago that we, we have this, uh, chilled pastry case and in the summertime we fill it with all kinds of green salads but in the winter it kind of becomes storage and my boss wanted to start filling it up more so uh we've started making some side salads grain salads bean salads things like that and i was like you know it's time we had some desserts in there that are not donuts Mm. or the croissants like some chilled desserts so i started with a chocolate pudding and there's something about homemade pudding that is just, it, it's like nothing else. And so I made one that was just to test what our customer base would think. I made a few, like six or eight cups of chocolate pudding. And then I made about six or eight cups of a mocha chocolate pudding. So it was a chocolate pudding, but with espresso mixed in. Mm-hmm. Good God, they were good. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, so good. It took the customers a few minutes to get on board. So a week later, we finally sold the last of them. So it was 12 pudding cups altogether, and it took us a week to sell them. Wow. Okay. So then the next one I made was for Mardi Gras. Oh, yeah. And we did a bananas. I did a bananas foster pudding. So basically I did like a, you know, banana pudding is like Nilla wafers layered with vanilla pudding and bananas. Right. But I took it a step further and basically added rum to everything (laughs) and cooked the bananas in in like a rum caramel sauce. And I layered all of that together. And then I candied some bananas and made some pecan brittle and put that on top. So like whipped cream on the top and then that went on top. Those I made 24 of those and those sold. Oh, I imagine. In less than two days. Gone. So then I made a butterscotch pudding and those sold. Then I figured out how to make a dairy-free tangerine pudding. It wasn't vegan, though. It still had eggs in it. Um, That sold in like two days. And so then I'm back to chocolate pudding today. So, you know, every time I make a pudding, I eat a little bit, right? I got to make sure it tastes good. So pudding has been pudding. Mm, Pudding. (laughs) All the pudding is happening right now. I think next week I'm going to play with um, a peanut butter pudding. And I want to layer that with a chocolate pudding. That makes sense. I think that's a good choice. Did you do like a peanut butter and jam pudding? Yeah. Somebody else suggested that too. I bet I could do that because we have, I mean, the jam. Right. I got the jam. That's not a problem. Yeah. So we could easily do jam like on deck. a jam. We got, pl- we got your jam yeah. right here. I've also been doing a lot of um, lemon. So my boss wanted to toy around with uh, 
preserved lemons like they do uh, in Morocco, mm-hmm. which I, we touched on preserved lemons in a podcast uh, way in the beginning of season one, um, where you pack them with salt, mm-hmm. like you cut them open and you pack them with salt and then they release juice and that forms a juice that they sit in and they preserve and then you use it in other things. Mm-hmm. He wanted to play around with that. So we ordered a case of lemons and I was like, well, I'll do that and I'm going to play with some other things. So I've had a lot of lemon on the brain and I've done the salt preserved lemons. I did sugar preserved lemons, which results in this amazing sweet tart syrup that could like go in and like I could just drink it. It's just like Mm -hmm. you can make lemonade out of it. You can make a cocktail out of it. It's just it's amazing. I want lemonade. And then... I tried to do like a lemon version of the tangerine pudding. That didn't work out so well, but I'm going to do some lemon curd. I'm going to do some lemon marmalade, mm. lemon in lemon zest in the salads, lemon juice in the salad dressings. It's just, it's been lemon on the brain. So lemons and pudding. That's my thing. That's, that's in my pie hole lately. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So I think that's it for today. Thanks for listening guys. Thanks for letting me wax nerdy on cookware. Mm-hmm. And again, if you got questions, you need advice, you know, you know where to find me. Shoot me, shoot me a line on, on the, on the book of faces or the Instagram. And, uh, we'll see you next time.